Yuck. Ah, the maudlin music of the university station. Wow, wow, wow. Huh, what is it about college and crybaby music? Hey, who's watching the Galleria? So, the flannel shirt deal, is that a nod to the crispy Seattle weather, or are you just trying to stay warm in front of the refrigerator? Oh, wow, you're feeling out there. Oh, wow, your face is catching up with your mouth. I went by dad's office. He is not your dad. Why don't you torture your new family? Hey, just because my mother marries someone else doesn't mean he's my father. Actually, Cato, that's exactly what it means. I hope you're not thinking of staying here. <laughs> I sure want to. I'm sure you do. I got a place in Westwood near school. Shouldn't you go to school on the East Coast? I hear girls at NYU aren't at all particular. <laughs> you're funny. What's your problem, Beaver? Infantry fury-trading hey! machine gun fire. Hi, you just got here and already you're playing couch commando? Hey, you know, in some parts of the universe, maybe not in contempo casual, but in some parts, it's considered cool to know what's going on in the world. Thank you, Josh. I so need lessons from you on how to be cool. Tell me that part about Kenny G again. Come on, you chuckleheads, get in here. Josh, are you still growing? You look taller than you did at Easter. No, I think so. Doesn't he look bigger? His head does. So, Josh, have you given any thought to a little discussion about corporate law? Yeah, you know, but I think I'd really like to check out environmental law. What for? You want to have a miserable, frustrating life? Oh, Josh will have that no matter what he does. At least he knows what he wants to do, and he's in a good college. I'd like to see you have a little bit of direction. I have direction. Yeah, towards the mall. Which reminds me, where's your report card? It's not ready yet. What do you mean, it's not ready yet? Well, some teachers were trying to lowball me, Daddy. And I know how you say never accept a first offer, so I figure these grades are just a jumping off point to start negotiations. Very good. D? Yeah? Hello? Huh? Yeah, Jake, what? No, not the afternoon! You're such a brown noser. Oh, and you were such a superficial space I told you I wanted it in the cadet. morning! What makes you think you can get teachers to change your grade? Doesn't he understand? Only the fact that I've done it every other semester. Everybody and welcome to the Nightfly with me, Dave Juskow. How are you? How are you? Tuesday, March 26, 2019. The night of the big show at the Comedy Cellar. Oh, it's giving me a little agita. I need more Pepto-Bismol on this one because I wait till the last minute and I worry and then it all turns out fine. But until then, uh... Because, you know, I'm not a professional. I got a regular job I got to worry about. I got to kick a little ass every once in a while. I got a club to run. But uh, doing this podcast, recording this podcast on a Saturday night, what? You know I can't usually do that, recording at around 9 o'clock. I just came home and I said, let's do it. Let's do it. There's much to discuss and I got other stuff on my mind and let's get to work. On this uh, last week of March 2019. Last week of March 2019 without, uh, you know, being bald. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> well, uh, let's just turn that off and get moving and uh, explain everything all at the same time. 
So, uh, where were we? We left off yesterday, last week uh, with my uh, boyfriend, uh, Paul Rudd, I believe. And, or we were two weeks away from that. I can't remember. I can't keep up with my unbelievable existence. Uh, mm. This time I got coffee from across the street of the deli. I said, I'm going to go get some coffee and... It just uh, the good place wasn't open, but they have that French. Whenever I go to Seven Eleven and I go to Jersey, I usually get half coffee, half that French vanilla cappuccino machine. It's delicious, so I'm very much enjoying it. I said I'll just get some coffee. I came home from my sister's yesterday. Uh, well, where do I begin? All right, uh, that's always the issue here. You know, I mean, I have things kind of organized, but I never know how they're going to come out or where I want to begin. But I'm going to begin. The uh, today's festivity. First of all, I'm, again, taping this on Saturday because tomorrow I'm uh, doing a, a special podcast that I might put out. I'm going, I made my plans. I'm going to Los Angeles uh, April uh, 4th through the 9th to, I made sure, I mean, I was like, oh, what day should I go? What day should I go? Uh, I was just trying to pick a couple days, trying to pick a, you know how like, comp- I, I mean, is everybody else like this? Where they, you know, I don't travel very much, right? And I don't like traveling very much, although it's much easier now that I don't have my cat because that used to just be an issue. So that's why I probably wouldn't get another animal unless I'm uh, engaged or, or something. So uh, I, you know, planning the, the trip, you know, do you go? No, I got a regular job, right? So I get a limited amount of vacation days. Well, actually, I get a lot now because, you know, you know I'm important. But, uh, you know, I, do, I don't like taking off very long. And so do you go, you know, sort of the, I usually start my trips on a Saturday and then come back sometime during the week. But this time, because I was trying to hit multiple things, I'm going from a Thursday to a Tuesday. You know, I've got to go to Bob's Burgers. I don't know whether I told you about this, but um, I don't know whether I told you about this. But in 1997, I don't remember what year it was. I'm positive I have told you this story in the past, but I'll tell it again because it's a classic. But in 1997 or so, six, whatever it was, yeah, probably lesser. Anyway, um, you know, I was on Dr. Katz, uh, which was, uh, you know, which you tell, I think millennials might know what it is. Probably not. But uh, when that was going on, the people at Dr. Katz liked me very much. And they wanted to work with me, which was um, high praise. That's my Nicolas Cage saying high praise. High praise. <laughs> um, so I got a call one day. The The guy who created Dr. Katz, not, not Jonathan Katz, yes, but there was also another guy named Tom Snyder, not the Tom Snyder uh, you and I who are older would know from uh, the later show after Letterman. Um, th- this is a different Tom Snyder, and he's a great guy. An interesting fella, and he created it with Jonathan Katz, his buddy. So one day he calls me up. I know I've told this story before, but I mean, when you do two hundred podcasts, you know they tend to seem together. Um, so I got a call from Tom Snyder one day. I was sitting at my apartment. Yeah, I guess you know what? It must have been before '96, and I think I moved into this apartment in '96. So it must have been before I was in my other apartment on 29th Street and I was just hanging around on a random weekday because I was, you know, a professional comedian at that time. I don't know if you realize this as a professional comedian. 
So I was doing nothing in the day, and I get a call from this Tom Snyder. He goes, hey, Dave, listen, it's Tom Snyder. And I'm like, who? You know, I play cool at all times. Can I help you? Um, and he goes, listen, um, I'm at ABC right now and about to go into a meeting with, um, no, no, he wasn't, wherever he was. I'm about to go into a meeting with Steven Spielberg and Jeffrey Katzenberg because me and Tom and Lauren are planning this new show that we want to put on ABC and you're kind of a big part of it and you're a selling point. And before I go in, I just want to make sure that you're okay with it. And I said, when, when, I don't know, when is this going to shoot? Is, this, is it going to take long? You know, because that's the response you want to give. You don't want to seem too uh, excited about it. No, of course I was. You know, I think I said that first because, you know, you can't help yourself because it's the stupidest. It, it, it's, it's so crazy. It, you know, I, I'm not Louis C.K. at the time. Um, even then wasn't the time, but I just couldn't think of anybody else, uh, you know, to call. I'm not Kevin Hart where you're going to call and be like, um, listen, it's uh, I'm going to a meeting with Spielberg. And, you know, this is just Dave Jessica sitting on his couch in his underwear playing, you know, the chuckle hut who gets a call says they're going to a meeting. It's very important. Spielberg, uh, you know, he's, he, he, he wants to know that uh, you're involved. He, he needs to know, you know, what, how do you answer that? But with comedy, <laughs> And you say Spielberg's definitely going to be involved because I got to tell you, I've had some problems with the last four Indiana Jones movies. Um, but of course, I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I can do it. No, I was like, of course. What are you kidding? I can't even believe you asked me. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. I mean, that if that's not going to make your day, then nothing will, especially back then, right? I mean, right now, if somebody said I'm about to go into a meeting with Spielberg, it would still make my day. I don't know if people know what Katzenberg's up to anymore, but... Uh, the Spielberg thing will work every time. So, so there's this show called Giving Harry the Business, and this time they're going to switch the parts with John Benjamin and Jonathan Katz were in Dr. Katz. You know, he played son and father. This time they switch. John Benjamin would be the lead, uh, taking over a talent agency that his father used to have, and Jonathan Katz was always his father's friend who was trying to get uh, management. It was really funny. Uh, Stephen Wright played the landlord. Dave Cross was in it, played John Benjamin's friend, which is why my name had to be Jeff Juskow because they kept calling Dave Cross Dave. So every week I was going, my character was going to pitch a one-man show. I believe in the pilot, I I guess they liked what I did in Dr. Catch. I was doing a one-man show of Elvis Costello because, you know, I like doing that imitation, uh, which I can't do now. I can only sing it. Um, so I remember even talking to my mother, but mom, it's all set. This is the big time. Now this show was going to be, I mean, this was before they had network animation besides the Simpsons. ABC was trying to get on board with this too. And, um, they're like, let's do this. So it was going to be on Thursday nights at eight 30 after capital critters, you know, and if you don't remember that one, well, there's a reason why for that too. So that was the big plan that this was going to be on ABC, a Steven Spielberg produced movie every Thursday night on ABC. I mean, can you imagine your pal Dave Juskow every week? They're going to say, well, we got nothing till that Jeff Juskow appointment. And I mean, it would have been unbelievable. Obviously, it would have been unbelievable. We know this. So, you know, what happened? What could have went wrong? You know, I mean, I mean, my mother and I were just talking about like we were we I remember I went to the house and we were role playing. I'm like, oh my God, this this is a sure thing. Because what is it? UB, I'll tell you what. 
I'll be ABC and you be Spielberg and you tell me you got a new show. And she's like, we got a new show. I'm not interested. And we were laughing. It's like, who's going to turn down Steven Spielberg? I don't think he had done TV at the time. Who in their right mind is going to turn down Steven Spielberg no matter what he has? Right? At that point? But they did. Uh, <laughs> no, what happened was they were like, yeah, we'll do it. Let's do 13 episodes. And he goes, no, no, no. I only do 22 or I walk. And they're like, well, then I guess you can walk. And that's how it ended. Shocking. In fact, we were all so positive that they're, 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 we're working with Spielberg and Katzenberg, the two most powerful men at that time, maybe in Hollywood. And we have, we're pitching a show to some douchebag at ABC. So the people, you know, me and Jonathan Katz and Benjamin and Lauren Bouchard, who's now the creator of Bob's Burgers, and Tom Snow, we're doing other episodes already because we're so positive this is going, we want to get ahead of ourselves. So we're recording, you know, voiceovers for other scripts, and then they'll retro animate it later. So, you know, I, I had to do, I had to come up with a couple of other, other one-man shows. <laughs> the, the only one I can remember doing, and it's definitely recorded, but it wasn't animated, was my... <laughs> And again, this is probably why I work at the law firm. Uh, I had nothing uh, after I shot my load with the Elvis Costello one. The only one I had was the one-man show of Gene Hackman. And, uh, well, like, what is that? And I'm like, what is that? I Well, basically, I get on stage and I just say the titles of the movie he's been in. So I get up and be like, hello, I'm Gene Hackman. You might remember me from movies such as The Package, uh, The Firm. Superman 4, the quest for peace. Uh, you know, that, that, that was the whole bit. Uh, but, you know, it, it is funny for its con. You know, I'm always pitching a one-man show this thing, and they're all worse than the next. So technically it works, but like that's all I can remember having. I, I must have come up with something else. I'm sure Michael Caine was involved. You know, like, um, now, you, when I grew up, as a small boy, I don't remember what the gag was. But I guess I didn't need a gag because it was just stupid. And I would have this one to two minute, one one minute piece on a network show. I mean, can you imagine? And when I find out who this guy is at ABC, oh, I'll tell you something. So then Tom Snyder wants the rights back. And he's actually a millionaire, too, because he invented some software stuff. Like Spielberg, I'm saying. Obviously not as much Spielberg. But Spielberg, to this day. Will has never given the rights back to Tom Snyder to be able to. Do you want to take it somewhere else? Wouldn't let him. Can you imagine? I mean, it just gets worse and worse. In fact, I have to blame myself for them getting involved with me. Nobody has luck like that. Nobody, that never happened to anybody unless Dave Jeskow's involved. But I guess everybody else did well after it. I mean, so Lauren created this thing. Anyway, so we were talking, um, you know, the, the creator of Bob's Burgers and um, my friend told John works over there and everything. We said, hey, you know, remember when we used to work on that show? And I said, I have a copy of it. I have a, I think I'm the only person that has a copy of it on VHS. And so I said, let me dub it down. We'll have a little screening at Bob's Burgers. So that's the, so that's the show. That's the show. Let me ask you a question. What'd you do for, what'd you do today? I don't know. Woke up. Uh, had some breakfast. That's a show. So that's the big plan. 
And, you know, but I always knew two reasons for going to L.A. Why am I going to L.A.? Who knows? Why always go on vacation there when I should be going to, like, Bermuda or something? Well, everybody knows I don't like beaches. I, you know, I like to sit in the cabana all day because I burn. I don't have anybody to go with. So I go to L.A. I got a lot of friends out there. Now that I don't worry about getting work and stuff, it's much more of a restful vacation in a way. The last time I was out, that was perfect. So I just got these two plans. This... And then hopefully, I looked at it. You could look it up online. I saw they were definitely shooting the Big Bang Theory the week I'm there. Whether it's the end of the week or the beginning of the week, they're definitely shooting that day. Hopefully, I'll get to the set. If I don't, I really don't care. Uh, there's plenty to do. I was coinciding with Sarah. Sometimes I like when she's not there because then I can see other people. She does monopolize my time. But me and her are in a really good place right now. So she's coming to New York for a while. So she didn't want me to... And, you know, I don't want to, I mean, uh, we're in a good place. We love each other more than ever. Isn't that lovely? So, uh, yeah, so that's, so I'm planning this trip. There was a whole purpose for all of this. Um, but, you know, the planning is, is, is difficult. And I, uh, oh, damn it, I had the, what was the reason that I was talking about it? Oh, I don't remember. But it's been stressful for me. I just got to pick the dates. And then I made the flight. I made all the arrangements. So it's all set and everything. Oh, that's the reason is because I'm shooting a pocket because I got to have one that I can put on while I'm there. You know, I don't think I'm going to shoot any or do any podcast while I'm there. Sometimes I try and do that. It's just too hectic. Um, I don't know if it happens organically, maybe. But let's just go have a good time, right? And then we come back. We'll do some stuff at the comedy cell. It'll be great. Hey, listen, folks, come on. So that's what that was all about. But I'm having a lot of trouble with the March 26th show because uh, Lenny Marcus, how about this guy? My friend, my pal, Lenny Marcus, I don't know, after his apparent show that sold out, this guy's so full of himself, he cancels my show. He's like, yeah, so just replace me. I don't think I can make it. I'm like, what an asshole. So now I got to find another comic, but I also got to find judges to judge the other comics who are Keanu, our friend Keanu, who, by the way, I got ambushed again on Kevin Brennan's show. Uh, but still hilarious. And she's cool because she totally gets it. You know, even if we're uh, having a fight, she knows it's all radio. So she's all right, you know, for a kid. This girl, Keanu. Uh, this guy, Steve Rogers. Uh, and then when I went to see Keanu, there was an MC there. Her name is Madeline or Madeline Smith. She was good enough. And she was kind of a delightful person. She was kind of funny. I said, well, I'll just call her too. And then... Uh, this guy, Troy Bond, and I just saw him on YouTube, very handsome guy, Look, you know, he got the Jeter, he's got the mulatto thing going, he's not ready at all, but, you know, it's fine for our purposes, but I need people to do it, so I, I, as, I don't know whether I told you, but I, I took a leap of faith, and I texted Paul Rudd, and I said, let me, let me take what I thought was a pleasant evening <laughs> that we had together, and, uh, I'm going to take a chance and say, would you be interested? In I mean, it's not like I'm asking him again to come to the chuckle hut. I'm asking him to come to the goddamn comedy cellar so I don't feel like a loser. I mean, it's a real show. When he gets there, he'll be like, oh, this is serious. You know, I mean, so, and the comics are real, not me, but you know what I'm saying. So I didn't mind asking him, but he didn't write back. And then on Friday, he did. I was worried. I'm like, oh, I guess it wasn't that. But then he did write back and he goes, oh, I can't do it. I'm going to Hong Kong that day. 
you know, I'll be on the plane that day or something. And I'm like, um, I'll bring back the winner an egg tart or something. And uh, I was like, uh, I was like, that's exactly what I thought you would say. That's exactly what you would think Paul Rudd would text back. Like, I'll be in Hong Kong. I'll be overseas. I'll be somewhere. You know, it's like that Gary Shandling episode with Sharon Stone when he's trying to ask her out for dinner. And he's like, what are you doing after the show? And she goes, I'm having dinner with Oliver Stone. And she and he goes, that's exactly what I thought you would say. It's someone like you would say. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing. But he's like, no, please ask me another time. So we are pals. Then I found out, you know, we have this mutual friend that um, he texted her and he goes, hey, that just guy's all right. So that made me really happy. So this will work out eventually that he'll come, you know, and do something on one of the shows, which will be terrific. I mean, how great would that have been for those kids if, you know, they don't get anything out of it and they might be humiliated, but at least, you know, they got to meet Paul Rudd. That would be exciting, right? That's exciting. It's exciting for the audience. exciting for me. It's exciting for them. But he can't do it. So then I called Gilbert Gottfried, and uh, he he's too busy and he can't do it either, which would have been another thrill. And so then I've been texting a tell all night because I'm telling that would be a really good thing. If the greatest comic in the country, you know, passed you or something, but he's been a dick and he's not returning my calls because I already put it in a text. It's such a dick move. He just has to say, I can't do it, Dave. Ugh. I tell you, I do not know why me and him are friends. I don't know. I or wait, do I know? No, no, that was too right. We didn't know. No, I mean, I know why we're friends. So I'm just saying it's so annoying. Uh, so now I don't know what I'm going to do. I uh, I still can't decide. And it's Saturday and the thing is Tuesday. But I got all the comics and I just asked Joe Mackey again because he's hilarious. Um, I just got to bring people to judge. I was going to have after the comics finished, they will judge with me. But um, then I was thinking maybe I'll bring in some ringers. I, I'm not sure. And I better get it set. So that is stressing me a little bit, these little plans, you know, that I have with my little shows. Plus, I think I'm warming up the audience, which is, uh, you know, sad. Um, I don't really have material, obviously, but uh, eh, what are you going to do? I'll be so bad that when Joe Mackey comes up, he'll be like, I'll save this, Dave. Thanks. I'll take it from here. So that's what I'm dealing with uh, right now. Uh, oh, oh yeah, this is funny too. So this week, just all this kind of shit happened that I thought, let me just do a podcast tonight, even though even though the one I'm doing tomorrow could be this one. I'm like, let me tell you all this stuff because I'll forget and it's too important to talk about. It's too funny to miss. Um, so... I so I, I, I this girl who is so pretty and I've always liked texted me the other day like a picture from us from a while ago and I've always been thinking I know she broke up with her boyfriend I was thinking like I'm gonna give her a call I'm gonna give her I'm gonna ask her if she's seen anybody else or whatever I'm gonna I'm gonna try on this and I did and I was like are you seeing anybody and she's like why are you asking me um and I'm like uh uh you know well uh and all, and it's so I, I can't even tell her why I'm thinking of it. I'm I w- always I watch this stupid movie, Kate and Leopold, almost on a daily basis. I don't know why. Hugh Jackman's 
great. Uh, the kid Breckenmeyer from Clueless is in it. And the horrible, horrible Meg Ryan, who used to be so pretty and fun. In this movie, I get so angry at her. She's so annoying and rude and bad acting choices. Everything about her is uncool. She lost it like Chevy chased it. Like, I mean, you know, not that she was funny, funny, but I'm saying whatever she had when she was kind of it for a while, she's lost it. But yet, I find myself watching this movie because Hugh Jackman's great. Um, and it's a, it's a time-traveling movie, and I, I just can't help myself when it comes to time-traveling movies. It's a stupid romantic comedy, and it's dumb. And like I said, uh, Meg Ryan sucks. And I sit there watching it. And there's a scene where Hugh Jackman goes to Breckenmeyer, who's also annoying in the movie, even though, even though he's technically, uh, you know, delightful, um, where he says, you know, it's very important that you make an, when you're making an introduction to a lady, you set out your goals, you tell her your intentions right away. <laughs> so this little tidbit, which is just written by some guy who looks like me in a darkened room... <laughs> Uh, I'm, this is in my head. I'm like, well, I, I, it's very important to set out your intentions when you are beginning to court a woman. <laughs> because, but there is something to it. I don't want to go again where I go out on a date and only I think it's a date. So I said, you know, would you like to go out? And she, and she, and she says, well, first of all, I've never dated a comic before. And already I'm like, wow, she thinks I'm a comic. This is exciting. And she's like, yeah, and you know, you're like New York royalty. And I'm like, well, that's true. I'm like, I can't even believe what she, I'm like, this, she doesn't know me at all. This is perfect. Uh, but then she said, however, uh, I heard your podcast once when you kind of um, bashed me on your podcast. So I kind of never forgiven you for that. And I'm like, what? When did I do that? And then I was not even like, I'm like, yeah, I probably did. It's. How fun! And then I'm like, no, no, I'm just trying to be ironic on the podcast. Hey, because well, you know, I was thinking about that girl. I did that that one time. That girl um, who came to my show and she didn't pay for anything, whatever. And like, and I can't stop thinking about her too. And I always want to like, you know, I kind of be like, try again. But she will not talk to me anymore. Can you blame her? I get it, but it's kind of funny that the podcast always comes back to haunt me. But in my mind. That is what makes a good podcast. If I keep getting burned because people don't like what they hear, well, that's got to be a goddamn entertaining podcast then. You know, I told her, Russ Maneev didn't talk to me for an entire year after the podcast, and we're friends again. I think you should give me another chance. I think you should give it to me. I think I deserve another chance. I think you should give it to me. So, we'll see. But uh, I thought you would enjoy that story. Uh, also... So on, okay, yeah, I'm just the, the, the events, uh, trying to figure out which is best. So on Tuesday night, first of all, I have to just tell you, and this has nothing to do with anything, but I finally found it. It's so weird. I hum this shit to myself on a daily basis when I walk, when I'm depressed or when I'm feeling alone, I think of this exact music all the time. But then it gets exciting. 
But this goes through my head all the time. I don't know why that's that little riff is in my head all the time and i must have just seen star wars the other night and like tnt or something that it was in my head again but i often walk through the streets like the little sad star wars part but then it goes that's the part where um luke sees his house all burned up There's something very exciting about that uh, music, but it plays in my head all the time as I walk down the street, which is weird. And this was the uh, the occasion on Tuesday for some reason, because I guess it's like a lonely feeling or something. So I was going to see this girl, Audrey. Uh, there's another girl I met, 22. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? She's a waitress at that wing place I go to every Monday night, and she's gotten into comedy. So she wants me to see her first show. And, I, you know, I've been going to see my friends lately. It's been kind of fun. Maybe I'm in a good place with comedy, so I don't mind. So I went to the Gotham Comedy Club, and I sat in the goddamn audience by myself. I got a table by myself, and that's why that music, I guess, was in my head. But I'm like, I can do this. I can be a man, and I can do this. See this girl do comedy, and I see all these new kids do comedy. Again, it's really funny, but... um. And she did okay. She did all right. But it was really funny being by myself. And I knew the guy that was running the show, and I hadn't seen him in many years. So it was actually nice. And I don't know. I think a lot of the kids, well, thank you very much, sir. You know, <laughs> like, and maybe he told them who I was after, which again is nobody. But, you know, I'm bigger than they are today. Tomorrow, they'll all have their own Netflix specials. But that's not the point. The point is. I went down and sat by myself. I had to have the two drinks. You know, thank God I, nobody else sat at my table. Oh, that would have been so embarrassing. But I just had the table by myself, which is embarrassing enough as it is. But who cares, right? And uh, I watched the show. And then I went out after to the bar next door. And I met this other 22-year-old. Oh, that's so weird. It's just a thing. Who's friends with somebody in my office who I don't even know. I met her once, and but she lives right next door. And we're having a good time at the bar. And then that other girl comes in. I mean, what's the matter with me? And and so then she told me that the woman, (laughs) she told me that that she was getting comments. I guess it's part of the class or whatever she was taking where you get reviewed by like um, a casting person. And this casting person said, you're gross and... You're not going to go very far because people don't like gross women in comedy. And I said, she said, what? What? Why would somebody say that to you on your first day? That's ridiculous. What a ridiculous comment. And for a woman to say that, that's even more ridiculous. My best friend is a gross comic who did pretty goddamn well for herself. What a stupid thing to say by this ugly whore who I, who I found out after she told me her name is somebody that I've met before and been commented on from before as a casting agent. And then Chris Murphy reminded me that he goes, don't you remember that's the girl that doesn't like you because you did something to her in college? And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot, of course. 
So now I'm totally allowed to hate her even more because she hates me for some reason. So she obviously hates this girl too. Maybe she said my name. I don't know what what made this woman just take somebody's first time on stage and just be like, you stink, sweetie. That's not, what, she getting paid 50 bucks to do this? That's not right. Why do you got to do that? That's maybe something your pal Dave Jeff's guy would do, but normal people don't do that. But then I'd forgotten that I did something in college. I mean, it just it just gets better and better. Anyway, me and this uh, girl went. I, so anyway, so Rachel had this big deal. And unfortunately, this is airing after, so I can't tell you, but maybe you can find it on YouTube, and I don't know how it's going to play out. But Rachel Feinstein had this big deal where the Tonight Show had called her and said, Jimmy's going to do this thing, Jimmy Fallon, is going to do this thing where he's running around New York and he's going to do like these late night activity things. So he's going to run in this firehouse, which is odd because then he thought maybe they'd get Rachel's husband. And then he's going to go to the cellar and he, and he wants to have you on stage when he gets there, which is like the highest of all compliments. So she had this thing and she was running her sets and she was at the cellar. She's like, can you come, you know, Tuesday? I'm like, oh, I'm already doing this other thing, but I'll come later because it's a really big opportunity. And I bought this girl and this girl's not, she's not nice. I've hung out with her before and she's not really nice. And, uh, you know, I think I, it's weird. I know she likes older guys, you know, whatever. But I think she's uh, kind of like, look, you know, I don't know what you're after. Um, you know, I don't think we can fool around. And then I was like, why not? Because I got that from this scene. Okay, Liz, I like it. We could dance together. That's it. We could just dance together. I don't know. Nothing more. Nothing personal. I don't want you coming on to me. I don't know. See, when he's eating the ham. Why not? I don't want you coming around. Why not? That's exactly what I said. Because I don't think guys like you anymore for one thing. You're too young, you haven't got any class, and you... What would be? I'm too old and I don't have any class. Yeah, I'm sick of jerk-off guys ain't got this shit together. (laughs) I mean, is she talking about me except for the young part? Oh, I got my shit together, but I don't. Come on, this is your shit together. This is exactly what I said, too. Come on, right? Come on, what are you saying? You got my shit together. Listen to you. You're 22. What do you fucking know about nothing, right? Come on. All you need is a salad bowl and a potato masher. Get your shit together. Would you like to know what I do? It's not necessary. I'm going to tell you what I do. I work in a paint store, and I got raised this week. Right. You work in a paint store, right? You probably live with your family. You hang out with your buddies, and on Saturday night, you go and you blow it all off 2001, right? That's right. You're a cliche. You see, he's sitting there smiling. He's like, yeah, that's right. This is exactly what happened to me. And then she's like yelling at me, like just like this Lynn Karen Gorney, whatever her fucking name is in the thing. I was like, yeah, that's right. And then you get just shit on from a woman who knows nothing about what she's talking about. You're nowhere on your way to no place. What do you got, a fucking stairway to the stars or what? Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. I'm taking a course night to the new school. Next semester, I'm going to take two. Now, you, you probably didn't get no college, did you? No, I did not. Well, did you ever think about going to college? No. Not ever? No, Jew. Well, not back then. No. What the fuck you bugging me about? No, for? Jew. Well, why not? Why didn't you ever want oh, to go to college? Jesus, fuck off. We did not, No, right? really, tell me. Why not? Oh, Jesus not? Christ. I didn't. thing is the high get of 2001 is just dancing it's not it's not being a best or nothing like that the only thing is that i i would like to get that high someplace else in my life you know like where 
I don't know where, I don't know, someplace. You see, dancing, it can't last forever. It's, it's a short-lived kind of thing. But I'm getting older, you know, and... You know, I feel like, I feel like, you know, so what? I'm getting older. Does that mean, like, I can't feel that way about nothing left in my life, you know? Is that it? Listen, uh, we got a split here. No, I'll I walk you the rest of the way. No, I'll meet you at the dance studio, just like we said, okay? Stephanie, I can walk you home. Look, nothing personal, right? Oh, come on, Stephanie, I can walk you. I mean, I swear, this is exactly what happened on Tuesday. I walked her out of the place. Come on, I can walk you home. Come on. Come on, man, what's going on? It's ridiculous, right? So anyway, I bring this girl to the cellar with me, and everybody was there, you know, as usual, and I, when I think about it later, I mean, I really must look like I'm somebody when I'm there. You know, you're walking in like the way Tony Montero walks in Tony Mon Tony Montero, right? Tony Montero, Tony Montana, uh, to that club when he's smoking the cigarette hat. That's why I always want to carry that dangling cigarette when he's walking in. Hey, hey, hey come on, how are you, everybody? And he walks into the Odyssey, you know, he's shaking hands with everybody. You seen everybody at the table. Michael Che was there. It was a miracle. She's right behind me. I'm like, oh, this is Michael. You know, this is uh, here's a tell. Here's right. You know, it's like uh, it's unbelievable. You know, so later at the bar, she's like, you know. When I first met you, I really did think you were full of shit, but it looks like you're pretty serious, you know, like whatever. So it was kind of funny because I, I mean, I guess I knew that was going to happen, but I was down there for a good reason, but I kind of wish I hadn't bought her with me because Rachel was a little disappointed. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with her age or somebody she didn't know. So she, if she didn't want me to see her said anyway, but I think if I was by myself, she would have. Uh, she was just nervous, but I was there to support her. And then I just kind of waited. And her manager was there and everything. And she was really nice. And everybody, hung, because she did a good job, her manager hung out all night. And everybody hung out. And uh, for, that girl went home. But she, I think she had the time of her life. She got to meet Atel. She took a picture with Rachel. Apparently, I didn't know her mother loves Rachel. I didn't even know she knew who she was. I feel like I was scammed a little bit. But it's okay. Um, but this girl's not very nice. You know, she's not like a nice person. Whereas, like I say, sometimes... You judge 22, 23-year-olds on an individual case-by-case -case basis, but this one is odd. But whatever, this is what I did, and uh, there was no way out of it. I felt bad leaving her after she had done her show because she said she had friends, but they all disappeared. And then I felt bad not going to Rachel's show, so I was trying to make everybody happy. Anyway, that girl left, and I walked. I was like, come on, I could walk you home. But I just put her in an Uber, and then I went back, and hung out some more, and then because Rachel wanted to hang out some more, and just you know, because she had a really great night, she was really pleased. The club was pleased, you know. The manager Liz was pleased. It made she's like you made the club look good. She was it, it was great. So I was like, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, we'll do whatever you want to do. Come on, she's like, I want to go to the diner. Okay, great. What? That seems a little lame, but yeah, let's do it. So where am I going to take her? I mean, I'm going to take her to the place me and my friend Paul Rudd go. We got the milkshakes. Hey, hey, we'll go to the Good Times Diner. Hey, hey, <laughs> woo. Or is it good stuff? I can never remember. Whatever it is. No, it's got to be good stuff because that's that REM song. And that's why I keep remembering because we used to have these boxes in college called Good Stuff. 
And some we found some girl had condoms in hers. We always called her good stuff after that. So it's good stuff dimer. Yeah. I think I'm right. Anyway, we go there and, uh, you know, she's just really in a great mood. And I'm so happy. And she made her, you know, we had the NBC driver. So he was just waiting outside all night. And we went to the diner. She goes, you know, you can go now. Uh, I can be finished with you for the night. I'll find my own way home. Thank you. She certainly didn't say it like that. She's too kind of person. But it was funny because she did dismiss him. But that is his job. He's like, thank you, ma'am. You know, it's like really funny because, you know, it's kind of the big time. That's NBC money. You know who else that, that had that limo before her? Ted Danson. He, they, she's almost making Ted Danson money. And, you know, Ted Danson is not better than me. You are worse than Ted Danson. But uh, so we're just at a diner and it was like four o'clock. And I got home at four o'clock in the morning again. And I know this is going to happen to me next Tuesday, too. But of course, Wednesday, you know, it's the big uh, this is uh, tomorrow. I'm telling you this. Today is the show. Tomorrow is the big Netflix. Can we get turbocharged on Netflix? I don't know. Probably not. But uh, hey, we're going to give it a try. It's going to be awesome. And after the meeting, I'll tell you more about that stuff uh in our next presentation but uh yeah that's that was a good night oh and i got michael che to hold the or liz made him hold the jusky award but he thought it was going to be a gag so he wouldn't hold we, we have a picture of me and him holding mike this is michael che from saturday night live uh holding the jusky award and they have the jusky award prominently at the comics table which i know they're making fun of but who cares? I mean, whatever, right? You make fun of that all you want. You just keep talking about it because that is comedy. So that's hilarious. You know, and when I'm in my management meeting at work, I'll, you know, think that, um, you know, everybody's, what's this? And Chris Rock says, oh, it's a Jusky. Come on. Come on, people. Give me something for that. That's a Jusky, you boy. That's the worst Chris Rock imitation ever. I don't know what that was. So I apologize. Oh, by the way, the next day on Facebook, that girl posted pictures of Rachel uh, and Atel, not maybe a picture of Atel, and she's like, yeah, look who I hung out with. Like, my name wasn't anywhere. What the fuck is that? That was not cool. Now, let's get down to our other business. Um, okay, very important stuff. Okay, so which way do I want to go? okay okay all right yeah let me stick to this so i go so my sister has her birthday party every year you know just me and the ladies and one gay guy which ironically is not me um and just her friends you know all the we're all the same age whatever and we just drink and do drugs and have a good time and uh and it, it, again, super fun time, super fun time. And then the next day, oh, well, okay, wait, I'm missing over the best part. This is almost why I was like, I have to immediately get on the air. Immediately, like last week with Paul Rudd. Was that last week? I, I'm getting confused. Um, I think it was two weeks ago. But I had to immediately get on the air because, all right, so I'm with the girl, the woman that I took to see my friend Dave Landau um, last week. Right, so that was... I don't remember that woman who's really pretty, but married, you know, to this wonderful guy, very nice people, but she's sexy. She's older than me, still sexy. And we know that she was a ridiculously hot sex pot 
when she was younger. So wait do you hear this. So we're at the party and we're talking, we're having a good time, and she's, you know, she's still sexual, you know, this girl. And uh you know those wine, those electric wine corkscrew things, the you know, they're black and they look like a microphone almost, but you press it and they unscrew a cork and wine. Well, it drops on the floor. And then it that dropping on the floor makes her say, oh my God, that reminds me of black cock. And we're like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? She goes, oh, it's probably because I'm remembering of when I fucked Ken Griffey Jr. And then I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, here we go. You, you know what? There's no reason. You gotta, but I, I know it's got to be true because she's hot and sexy and it's just so funny. So then she told us the story of how it all happened. She was with a boyfriend. They were in Arizona. Ken Griffey sent the bat boy over to get her. No, he kept staring at her, kept staring at her. He's like, hey, I got a boyfriend. And he pretty much kept calling her and calling her and he wore her down or whatever. And uh, I don't know. They used to have sex all the time. This woman and Ken Griffey Jr. So then uh, the best part was, let me get to it. She <laughs> also had sex with this guy. Hello. Hello. Oh, you don't remember me. No, should I? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 you should. Because I certainly remember you. Let me refresh your memory. June 14th, 1987. Mets, Phillies, you made a big error, cost the Mets the game. Then you're coming up the parking lot ramp. You said, nice game, pretty boy. Ah, you remember. And then you spit on us. Hey, I didn't spit it. Oh, yeah, right. No, 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 well, then, then who was it? Well, look, the way I remember it, I was walking up the ramp. I was upset about the game. That's when you called me pretty boy. Okay, that ticked me off. I was started to turn around to say something. And as I turned around, I saw Roger McDowell behind the bushes over by that gravelly road. Anyway, he was talking to someone and they were pointing at you. I tried to scream out, but it was too late. It was already on its way. Wow, it was McDowell. But why? Why McDowell? Well, maybe because we were sitting in the right field stands cursing at him in the bullpen all game. He must have caught a glimpse of us when I poured that beer on his head. It was McDowell. Oh, boy. Uh, look, uh, Keith, uh, we're sorry. Yeah, I could be sorry. Or I, uh... Oh, the guys, don't worry about okay. it. Uh, well, I guess... Uh... I better get going. Wait, wait, no, no, no. What are you doing? Well, I got to move. You want any help? <laughs> I'd love some. You sure? I'd love to help you move. Yeah, yeah me too. Okay, guys, we got to be careful. Okay. One thing, some of the stuff's very fragile. We're going to have to handle it like a baby. Hey, no sweat. <laughs> yeah, she uh, fucked Keith Hernandez. Can you believe that? 
she's telling us all this stuff. It's hilarious. It's really funny. And then, you know, I'm just like, what? And I'm like, uh, and so then I said, hey, can you, can you get him to do my podcast? And she's like, sure. And I'm like, come on. And remember, she slept with these guys in like the early 90s. So 30 years ago. And the next thing I know, she's showing me her phone. And I told her to take a goddamn screenshot of it. It's just in the the lock screen, two texts, one from Ken Griffey Jr., one from Keith Hernandez, both say, sup. They, they wrote her back so fast, I think they both still want it. She's that good. Now I'm talking about Bill Cosby. The woman... Is that her vagina is so good, the man cannot help but 30 years later to dream about the vagina. And they're both asking if she if she's married. And like I don't know when the last time she got in touch with her, but apparently they'll, they will call her, they will get together with her to drop of a hat even now when she's almost 60. That's some good. Pussy! And they said the people came from miles around to partake of the sacred pussy! This was good! Pussy! And they said that the pussy tasted like a big yellow pudding pop. You see, folks, that's... <laughs> Ooh. Now, how's that for a story? And you know what the funny thing is? I I bet you I can, I bet you I can end up meeting these guys. <laughs> it's like cause they're not gonna care. I mean, this is unbelievable. This girl, and then she told me about uh, one of the Rangers guys she blew. I mean, it's, it's, she was just offering the information. I don't know where this came from all of a sudden. I mean, I assumed this was that she had led this life because she seems to kind of like that girl Sophia. That we know, you know, the British one that I use for all my shows, which is so funny. Also with her, we've been, uh, you know, we're doing something together. And she just goes, hey, I, I can't talk right now because I'm shooting this movie. Um, I'm a- attractive mourner number one. And she keeps texting me that she got like, oh, um, I just I just booked two things. I'm attractive mourner number one. It's for HBO. And I also have this other thing for XX, for FX where I'm going to play hot girl at bar number two. Can you imagine? I called my sister because this is the kind of stuff we were dreaming about our whole life. I mean, we would love to be getting parts that say attractive bar t- attractive girl at bar number two. I, I, I would like to get attractive girl at bar <laughs> number two. Uh, attractive mourner number one. I mean, that... That is when you know you're hot. And Sophia knows she's hot. And we've talked about this before. It's just funny. I'm like, I don't understand. When we were doing the football show, she got me all those uh, Chipotle, um, uh, free uh, Chipotle burrito things. And I go, how did you get this? She goes, oh, I got it because I'm hot. And I never even questioned it. I'm like, thank you for being honest. (laughs) She knows why she got it. It, You know, it's so funny. So this girl... You know, she's like, I, you know, yeah, I'm that good. Uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. 
So anyway, I asked him, like, tell him I'll do the podcast at the Comedy Cellar. I do the podcast at the Comedy Cellar. Just tell him I do the podcast. There. Because why wouldn't I do the podcast at the Comedy Cellar if Keith Hernandez is going to come by? Keith Hernandez, he was in game six. He was in game six. And that's why it's great when Seinfeld is, uh, when he's in the box at the, at the Mets games. They're going to intentionally walk Duda, and they'll pitch to Flores instead, but the base is loaded. I saw an ad for doornails in the paper this morning. <laughs> <laughs> also a story about how I bombed out the night before. <laughs> you know, you were gracious enough to, to, to come in and join us for these four innings, so we figured we'd give you a parting gift. Oh, my God. Don't tell me the ultimate bobblehead. <laughs> Gary, Keith, and Ron in a picture from 1983. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's nice. Let's show that on camera. But anyway, we got a game moment here. This is what I call a game moment. Would you like to call this play? This is, yeah. this is your okay. moment. Wilmer Flores looking at a 1-0 count here. Trying to get something to drive. He's looking middle in, right, Keith? It's always middle in. Uh, well, maybe. Right back to the box. They flip it to first, and the inning is over. That's got to hurt. I don't care where you're from. <laughs> Jerry, uh, you have an open invitation. Please come back. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you, guys. Always Thank great. You. You're the great. best. Thank you. Why don't you make on it on behalf of the Mets fans? What? Make it an annual thing. Okay. Really? Great. I'll see you in one year. You got nothing better to do. Nothing. <laughs> I'm going to go Jerry. get a ribeye steak now, a real one. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Jerry's, um, I mean, that only happens because Keith Hernandez was on Seinfeld in a legendary classic episode where, when I've told you this before, when the Mets went to the new stadium, or no, no, when they had the 25th anniversary of the, you know, 1986 Mets, and they're like, he was the last one out. And he's Elaine Bennis' boyfriend, Keith Hernandez. I mean, this guy was in game six. And he was in Seinfeld. Oh, my God. I would love to have him on the podcast, wouldn't I? But he was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Major bummer. I still think I, I think I can get her to convince him, though, with her magic vagina, which must be a thing. Think about it. 30 years ago, this happened. And they texted her within 30 seconds when she's like, oh, I'm telling my friends about you guys. 30 seconds, they texted back. What's up? God, I wish I had that. I said, why didn't you take a picture of that screensaver? That's what I want. That's the memory I want to have. Meanwhile, she's been sending me pictures that they've been sending her, which is just so funny. Not dick pics, thank God. At least that's, she hasn't sent those to me, but she keeps it up. She doesn't seem to care. She's like, yeah, you know, my husband knows. Everything's cool. <laughs> and now you guys know because it's awesome. But it's not like a surprise. It's not like. Ken Griffey or, or Keith Hernandez is going to get divorced. I, I think they all both are divorced, but it's not like anything bad is going to happen to them because you we know they must have slept with many multiple women. So it's not you know it's any not any kind of scandal. The scandal would be like if they were homosexuals. What? But he was in Game Six. What is so great about Game Six? Let's just go over this uh, episode again because. <laughs> Everything's funny about this particular scene. And remember, this is season three of Seinfeld, which I believe that this is the episode that kind of solidified its greatness 
and made it last another six seasons and made it a classic. This is the episode. And this is one of those things where you can really break down an episode and why everything just is so funny and it just is laugh out like you can't even, you have to wait for it, but it, it's amazing. This is Kramer comes in the room, sees Keith Hernandez, does the spin. Gives him the smile. The audience knows what's coming. <laughs> and it's just, this is just great writing, good acting, and good comedy. And Keith Hernandez is doing a great job. He's just sitting there. No expression. Hello. Hello. Oh, you don't remember me. There's nothing funnier than that. I mean, I think I do that. Oh, you don't remember me, do you? I mean, that's that's the best thing you can always do. Oh, you don't remember me, do you? So there's that. No, should I? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 you should. Because I certainly remember you. <laughs> Let me refresh your memory. So he refreshes the memory. And then, I mean, I remember, this makes no sense. It's just funny. And it's weird from the writer's like we've talked about before, Larry David being so meticulous about everything having to make sense. It makes no sense. June 14th. Newman just comes out of the hallway. He doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know Keith Hernandez. He just shows up. Oh, let me tell you what happened. June 14th. Mets Phillies. I mean, it makes no sense. Why was Newman there? Who cares? It's hilarious, and then they just dig, and the fact that he remembers the name, the name of the game, and they say, you made a big error that cost the Mets the game. I mean, that's awesome, because, you know, is Keith going to be okay with that? Do you want to be on TV saying, where you made a huge error, which cost the Mets the game? You're talking about 150 games. That's what makes him also cool. He doesn't mind. 1987. You made a big error, cost the Mets the game. Then you're coming up the parking lot ramp. You said, nice game, pretty boy. Ah. See, and then and then the star, you know, Keith Hernandez of the Mets remembers. I mean, this is brilliant. He's like, and you said, nice game, pretty boy, which is good for so many reasons. Like, if this happened in real life, it would be amazing. The fact that Keith remembers and the fact that it vol validifies validifies, I think I got that right, their story that that happened. You remember. And then you spit on us. Hey, I didn't spit it. And we know that the rest is just unbelievable. And uh, it's it, that just those, that's 43 seconds of how you make a classic comedy show. Those three elements. Oh, you don't remember me. June 14th, <laughs> Mets Phillies. And, and you said... Nice game, pretty boy. And he's pointing at him. I mean, that's awesome. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, this idiot, Catherine Heigl. You remember this fucking, what, what, uh, uh, who's that douchebag? Lori Loughlin's kid, uh, the, the, the entitled piece of shit, this Catherine Heigl, who had everything handed to her because she's pretty, bad actress, bad person. Then knocked up, she got a couple of comedies. Then she starts complaining about the writing and her stupid show, whatever. She's such a bag of shit. Somehow this whore gets another chance in Hollywood, which she shouldn't because she's not that good. No one cares, but she does. CBS just says, oh, we got Catherine Heigl's going to be in a new sitcom. 
Well, isn't that delightful? It's called Our House, another one of those great CBS sitcoms. CBS who, well, yes, bought you the Big Bang Theory, but then they bring you just really bad stuff like this fam that I'm watching, which, you know, I just can't help myself because the girl's hot and Gary Cole's hilarious. And just watch it in a, as a you know thing when I watch something bad, then I got to watch, you know, like the Fuller House and stuff. I need to power down with nonsense. Uh, but they write so much bad, bad stuff. And then they say, well, Catherine Heigl will help us. You know that's going to suck because she sucks. And why are you making comedies if you can't make this one? This is an example of what television comedy should be, which, uh, which nobody's doing now. And you're going to give us another example of Katherine Heigl in a CBS sitcom, which is going to blow. And you're going to put all this money into it. And all you're going to pay her. You're going to have all these production costs where you could be feeding people and repairing people's homes from a hurricane for this piece of garbage. You know it's going to be. Oh, do you think I am worried in for two seconds that somebody's going to get a clip of this statement from my podcast and say, well, in its ninth season, our house you said was going to fail. I don't even have to worry for two seconds. It's an embarrassment. CBS is the only organization that has a decent sitcom. They have the most highest rated show in the Big Bang Theory, but they're losing it. And that's their plan? They're going to get Katherine Heigl to single-handedly save CBS after they get rid of the Big Bang Theory? Are you kidding? That's pathetic. So when you have something like this, you see the elements, you see who's involved, the acting, the comedy, and then and then you see this. How are they not embarrassed? I don't think this is going to get me on CBS anytime soon, but right now, I wonder if they'll let me on the premises if they heard my podcast. And I'm like, hello, Dave Juskow, to see uh, being set the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> hello. Uh, I'm sorry, but the president uh, saw your podcast and or heard your podcast and, well, I'm afraid you're not allowed on the grounds anymore. Well, wouldn't that be a show? That's a show. So there we are. Some fascinating stories I had to tell you. Now, there's more to say I want to talk about today. Uh, we played up front. John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever, mostly because... No, 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 no. We, we didn't play that up front, did we? What? Well, I don't even remember what I played up front. We were just talking about... Oh, I played Clueless up front. No, the Saturday Night Fever I was getting because, of course, he was like, um, I just don't want you to come on to me. Why not? You know, because that's what I do. However, there was a thing in the paper today, and I thought we'd take a look at this, uh, where they're talking about... The, the thing is kind of low volt. This is what they say. And this is from this guy I actually like there, a uh, millennial guy who writes uh, about movies. John Travolta's movie career has seen incredible highs and more recently hugely embarrassing flops, including laughable science fiction films, mocked mobster movies, and ridiculed, rid, ridiculed dad comedies. Latest example is Trading Play, blah, blah, blah. Uh, here we look back at the actor's more than 40 shaky years in Hollywood. Now, he's completely right. 
But I don't know how you have a sentence saying, here we look back at the actors more than 40 shaky years in Hollywood. If you have 40 years in Hollywood, they're not shaky. If you can last 40 years and somehow your children who might be in high school might even know who John Travolta is, I don't consider that shaky. Yes, he's been legendarily known for making bad choices. But the fact of the matter is, you know, what what isn't, if you if we look at his uh, body of work, it, it's quite unbelievable. I'm looking at my piece of paper because in one lifetime, now you know everybody has a high. So, you know, he has Carrie in 1976. 1976, he also does The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, which maybe some of you don't know. But let me tell you something. When television was all we all had, in the three channels, that movie of the week was humongous. And then he does Saturday Night Fever, which was sick, humongous. And then he does Grease the year after that, which I always thought was like two years after that. But it wasn't. It was the next year, 76, 77, 78. He's got four legendary things everybody's talking about. And that includes Welcome Back, Connor. So that's five things. And then, all right, so 79, you might have skipped the beat. And then 1980, Urban Cowboy. Listen, you might not like Urban Cowboy, but it was a huge, huge movie and a big moneymaker. And after that, yeah, things went downhill because he was just bad at choosing movies. But he had four to five. If If anybody could have four to five years of that and still get job offers, in 2019, no matter what they are, it's kind of a miracle. I would not call that shaky. Again, bad choices, right? Uh, two of a kind, oh, horrible. Olivia Newton-John and him again, perfect. Um, you know, the experts, all bad movies. But then he did Look Who's Talking in 89. Look Who's Talking. So, yeah, all right, 10 years later, Look Who's Talking, bad movie. But it made money. We know it made money. It spawned two more sequels. Bad. So then four, four years later, Quentin Tarantino brings him up with Pulp Fiction. Again, if you're talking about you have a shaky career, you're the king of the world in 1980. The king of the world in 1980. You've done it all already. And, only, and in 1994, you're back with Pulp Fiction and nominated for an Oscar. Then he had Get Shorty, which, you know, we was okay. Broken Arrow, which was great because that was uh, that uh, great uh, Chinese director. When because then he also did Face Off. Found a new career in being a villain, a new career. He you know with, with, from Pulp Fiction, this got him this brand new career of being a villain, which a lot of people wouldn't have thought of doing. Face Off is unbelievable. What what was Wu Wu uh, Jonathan Wu? I can't remember his name, but Wu the director. Also, the Mission Impossible too, but he did a lot. I had seen his Chinese movies with, uh, you know, with that guy he used to use all the time. That kind of fat guy worked with Mira Servino a couple times. But I mean, I, again, those made money, 
and they were popular, I I, got to say, I'm not sure if I would consider that shaky. How long are you expected to be a movie star for? In 2007, he did Hairspray the Musical. That was pretty popular with kids. And then he did this, you know, a cartoon, both a Disney cartoon. And that, you know, yeah, okay. So that's already in the 2000s. If you can make it as a kid actor from 1977, you know, when you're 16, 17, and then still be asked to do, you know, movies or musicals or something, that's, what is 2007 or 8? Was that 30 years later? It's pretty good. Yeah, he's made a lot of really bad movies. But then look at this. I mean, then we uh, look at how much they made. Again, I don't know how this is considered shaky. His highest box office grossing film of all time is Grease. Okay? It uh, made $189 million over the years from 1978. But in 2007 which is about 10 years ago, the second highest grossing movie in John Travolta's careers, which I thought, I actually, I mean, it came and went, but was Wild Hogs. Do you remember that one at all? It was him and Tim Allen and uh, Martin Lawrence uh, and they, their dads and they do a motorcycle tour together, something stupid. That's his second highest grossing movie of all time. And that's in 2007. His third is Look Who's Talking. Four is Hairspray. Fifth is Bolt. Stupid animated movie I think he made with that idiot uh, you know, from Amanda Bynes, who's insane. Talk about a career that, talk about shaky career. Amanda Bynes had it all going on, and she blew it, and she, she's never coming back. Face Off, Pulp Fiction, Phenomenon, General's Daughter, all made over $100 million. General's Daughter, all horrible. Saturday Night Fever uh, pales in comparison. But here's the ones adjusted for ticket price inflation. That, you know, is our favorite thing. Whereas if, uh, you know, we know that, uh, what's the highest gross movie of all time? For real, it's, uh, was it Avatar? No, no, it's it's Black Panther, I think, or something. I, I don't know. It's one of those new movies, I think. But when you adjust it for inflation, as we always talk about on the show, it's Gone with the Wind, which is completely fascinating. But for John Travolta's highest grossing movie, no matter what, with real or ticket inflation, is Grease. Uh, The adjusted gross would be over $696 million. You know, if that came out today, at today's prices. Then Saturday Night Fever, then Look Who's Talking, Pulp Fiction and Face Off. And the wild hogs. But I'm just saying, it's kind of fascinating that this guy said, I mean, you know, we know about Battlefield Earth. We know about moment by moment, moment to moment with Lily, him and Lily Tomlin being romantic together. It's a gay guy and a lesbian being, you know, poor choices. But if you can make poor choices and still find a way to be in a money-making movie 40 years later, you're doing pretty good for yourself. He's obviously a wackadoodle. But again, if you can have a second and third career in this business, I know he's a man and a good-looking man, so that's a big deal because if a woman could do it, it's even more spectacular, like a Helen Mirren, you know? But if you can have... So he starts out in television as a huge star. Then he breaks out and he's the biggest movie person, you know, ever, maybe. 
I mean, really, they just don't have stars like that anymore. You know, with money and the fads and everything that we know. I mean, I think our parents would even say, John Travolta usurped all the people we know from our past in the fact that the trends, the fads, the things that he did. You know, it's like, I mean, you can have, boy, Tony Tony Curtis, sir, was good. Cary Grant was great, but, you know, it wasn't like he started... Everybody's wearing the gray suit from North by Northwest nowadays. You know, this guy did something spectacular. And then he reinvented himself. And look who's talking as like a father figure. Then he reinvented himself again as a villain for a couple of movies. Then he reinvented himself again as, you know, just an old man. It's not that great, but listen, Wild Hogs. Second gross movie of his career. So that's reinventing yourself. So even though he does make poor choices and we don't, you know, and we can question everything that he does in his personal life, still pretty goddamn impressive. Uh, if he, if he, we started knowing about him in 75, 85, 95, 2005, 50, so yeah, over, over 40 years. And he was a bona fide star in 75, 76 just from television. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, and then he's got the crazy with the mispronouncing of Tina Menzel's name, all that nonsense. But uh, I don't know. To me, I I would uh, like a career like that. I would sign up for a career like that, I believe. Being married to Kelly Preston would be uh, quite delightful. Uh, of course, it doesn't matter to him because uh, he's a homosexual. So uh, probably not as festive for him to be married to such a hottie you know um so the have you ever heard of the flying walendas uh when this idiot nick walenda uh crossed again grand canyon we used to play it because remember he's so stupid and he's always thanking jesus when he's uh crossing the tightrope cable reaction all right uh it's okay not my favorite, but all right. Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise God. He's walking a fucking tightrope. What a fucking idiot. You really think Jesus is going to get you through that because you're a fucking idiot and taking your own life into your hands for no good reason? You're walking this stupid tightrope, you jackass. You think Jesus gives a shit about you doing that to yourself? You know what Jesus was? He wants to help people that just, you know, had their families wiped out by weather-related stuff or ISIS or shit like that, you dumb fuck. You selfish prick, you. But it was very entertaining, I got to say. But um, so this guy's an idiot, right? So he said, I think he said Jesus 65 times and praise the Lord 35 times on his walk over the thing. That It's just so stupid. It's like Jesus isn't going to help you walk over the Grand Canyon on tightrope because you're an idiot and you want to do this danger thing. Jesus will protect you if somebody's making you walk over that tightrope by gunpoint. Then you could ask for Jesus' help. You selfish prick. So this guy, so they got the flying Walendas. You know, this guy, he's got his fucking family that he makes do this shit. And all of them fell off the tightrope last week at, a, at a, whatever they were doing. They all fell off, and, 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 and it, it's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. 
uh, there's video of it. They all fell off. They're doing this ridiculous thing that, yeah, it's, it's great to see, but uh, do you feel sorry for people that do this? It's kind of like you're asking for it. And don't start thanking Jesus that everybody's alive and didn't get hurt because that's just selfish. Uh, you know, what another man does to make a living, it's, it's fine. It doesn't matter whatever another man does for a living, it's fine. That's how he makes his money. But uh, hey, it's not, you know, you're the one tempting fate and ruining Jesus's, you know, vision that we need to help him to help for him to help all of us by doing your stupid stunt. This is what you choose to do? No, that's not what we use Jesus for. But yeah, you got to see the thing. They all fall. Somebody got one of the one of his family members got really injured. They all fall because they do it without a net. So it's pretty dangerous. And I don't know. Sometimes you like uh, maybe sometimes they should set it up so they do fall. So that way it is better for business. But I don't know how sorry you feel for people that are doing death defying stunts and then using it in Jesus's name. I know he's like a big. You know, Jesus lover, but uh, pretty sure I would say I'm not, obviously I am not Catholic, but I'm going to go on record saying that I would think Jesus did not die for this purpose. Um, I I would think if he was being, when he was being nailed to the cross and, and all this stuff going in his head, he's like, well, hopefully this will help people. I will be a symbol of, uh, you know, how we can all get along. Uh, but it, I, I don't think this was his plan. Hopefully, 2,000 years from now, somebody will remember me when they're walking across the Grand Canyon for some stupid goddamn stunt. Now, he made a lot of money for that stunt, but again, that's not, how, that's not what Jesus had attended. You dumb fuck, Nick Willanda. Nick Willanda. The only thing... Uh, you know, is better than the Willenders, the Flying Graysons. You might remember because that's how you get Robin from Batman. They were really good. Oh, the Flying Graysons were fantastic. Oh, they were good. Oh, Jesus Christ, they were good. You remember the Flying Graysons, right? Flying Graysons? What am I doing? I'm all over the place. I'm not even drunk. <laughs> but I tied one on last night, I'll tell you. I really did. Also, um, eh, that's it. I think, I, I think I've said enough for today, right? I just said something about Tom Seaver and the Mets because the Mets are so stupid, too. Like, now that Tom Seaver is, I don't know, dying, he's got some horrible disease. He was the best. Uh, now they're putting a statue up of him and they're naming, uh, you know, the Mets. Thing. I'm like, why didn't they do that when they opened? He's like the greatest Met. He won them a World Series. You know, Mike Piazza will always be a Met. And Keith Hernandez will always be a Met. But, like, you know, Seaver's a living legend. And then they treated him like a bag of shit when he left. And uh, you know wh- 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 who are you building a stadium for? It's not like building Yankee Stadium where you can just make and pick and choose who will represent the stadium. I mean, it, it's a slim pickings. So how was there not a statue of Tom Seaver up there before? So very angry today. Oh, I'm doing well on the NCAA pool. I'll tell you that. But uh, yeah, I know. I remember. I was like really nervous. Meanwhile, my uh, Liza, my niece, is like doing. She's winning the whole pool. It's unbelievable. She got like two wrong. You know, I'm teaching the kid how to gamble. Hey, she's okay. Hey, you're all right. So anyway, okay. So next week uh, we will 
You, the, the week after, we will uh, discuss the show. Uh, the uh, Dave Jessica OSA called Spring Spectacular, but I'll say my final four, so we'll break it down as we always do. And the week after that, uh, we'll be uh, I will be in LA, so we will have a, a, a podcast with I believe um, with a, a little Memo Salazar. And then after that, we will break down the Los Angeles trip, and after that, we'll do something special. So those are our plans all the way into spring, and I hope everybody has a lovely week. And, uh, well, if you this comes out at 9 in the morning. If you can make it down to the Comedy Cellar tonight, please do. I, 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 let's hope it sells out. Otherwise, I'm going to look foolish. This could be the last show. But, uh, yes, if you can come down tonight, the Comedy Cellar, live from the Comedy Cellar, Dave Joskow, March 26th. Uh, Otherwise, have a great week, everybody, and we'll talk again next week on the Night Fly. Good night, everybody. All the time.